We are living in a world where the pressure is to keep on keeping on. We create goals with deadlines and deadlines upon deadlines. The real question must be asked about whether we are working to live or living to work. In this edition of the Change Wizard podcast, we look at the importance of considering pace and space. My first teaching job was at Mallory School in South East London, actually to be correct, in Lewisham, South East London. I started there in 1981. It's going back a bit now, isn't it? I had two mentors at that school. Uh, they were the people that supported us in our development as new teachers. One of them was Terry Dibley, the head of art. Now, art wasn't my subject, but Terry Dibley was an amazing mentor and actually really got me to think about what I was doing as an educator. My head of department was Bryn Walton, and he was a mentor that focused me on the delivery of my subject, which at that time was Earth Sciences, Geology and Geography. Bryn observed one of my early lessons, and amongst the positive feedback said the following, your lessons have a great pace, but don't forget the need for space. A really powerful idea. Pace and space is a basketball term which pushes the speed of the offence and spreads out the defence with extra shooters on the court. I didn't know that. But in the classroom, Bryn was alluding to the fact that we had a curriculum to deliver and the goal was getting students through their courses. In doing so, there was a tendency to teach to a timetable and a defined framework. Failure to keep to this timetable may have hindered the learner's progress. Hence, the word pace. What Bryn reminded me was that we needed to create space in order to help fix the learning in the student's mind, but also manage a space in which understanding can evolve through reflection and creativity. So when I think of the word pace now, I think of the words momentum, productivity and motivation. If I think of the word space now, well, I think of uh, thinking, reflecting, creating, learning and consolidation. Now, how much of your life is driven by the pace at which you have chosen to live? And when do you think about the space that you need in order to live life effectively, efficiently, and to savour the value that life brings? We set goals, we set targets, and these things become the driving force for achievement. Now, although I call myself a success mindset coach, I have certain questions about that word success. For a start off, it's personally defined. Your success is down to what you define personally as success. It's not for me or anybody else to come and tell you that you are successful. You need to own that. However, many people will view success as actually achieving certain goals in their lives. And in fact, using the time effectively. Now, that doesn't mean you have to use your time to pursue every dream that you could dream. 
I'm not on about these big dreams. I'm on about you enjoying the time that you have with your family, with your friends, with your work colleagues, and on yourself and your career, whatever that is to be. So here are some ideas that you can explore to maintain pace in your life. First of all, review your targets and goals. Sometimes it's not about defining big goals or huge dreams, but about enjoying the smaller goals and targets on the way. You see, success is really about the journey you take and not just the destination. Create schedules and daily plans. Outlining the tasks that you want or need to complete in a day is a real productivity hack. Setting priorities can be a challenge. Base the daily plans on a weekly and possibly monthly outline of the things you need and want to get done. Now, one of the things I've started to do in recent years is at the start of every year, I create an overview of what I want to achieve in that year. I review my values and my attitudes and my beliefs, and I set myself long-term, that's 12 months, goals that will lead me towards this future that I am still creating. Because, to be quite honest, I don't really know where I want to end up. I just know that I want to get there in the most enjoyable and satisfactory way possible. And I need to keep my journey in line with my values, attitudes, and what I think I'm good at. So, at the start of each year, I outline broad strokes of goals and targets. And then, during uh, each month, I sit down and narrow those to things I need to achieve in that month to move me in the direction of this bigger vision for myself. And then, at the start of each week, I outline what I need to do in order to meet those monthly and therefore yearly goals. And then, once I have a monthly target, that can bring me back to weekly, and weekly can focus me on daily. And I've started recently to really think about my daily working targets. In fact, I use a number of productivity apps uh, which I'm not going to advertise here, but if you want to know more about the apps that I use, then feel free to email me at alan at alanuk.com and I will actually share the apps that I use. But schedules and daily plans are really important. In your daily plans, set three key tasks. So setting aside the daily habits of checking emails and following up on routine jobs, it is useful to think of terms of three major tasks each day. These become the focus of your work, and when these are completed, look to the next task on your target list. Any unfinished tasks on that day become the priority for the next day, not added to the next day. But you always create a list of three things to focus on that day. Now, the problem with most of us is when we create a to-do list, the to-do list just moves over to the next day. The things that we haven't done get added to the next day's plan. And so we may have a big task on and we do three things today um, and then tomorrow we'll only do two things and then we add the additional task on to the third day which makes it four tasks in that day which means that we won't be able to achieve them so the following day may have five tasks on them. Do you see where this slowly builds up? It is not effective planning. Effective planning is that you set yourself tasks that have meaningful times associated to them. Let's face it, some of our tasks take us longer than we think they're going to. 
you need to build that time in. So here's a really powerful tip that I've picked up very recently and I'm now starting to use. It's about reviewing the tasks that I've completed during the day. So at the end of the day, I make a note of the tasks I have done, the ones that I've crossed off my task list, the ones that are apparently vanished. That reminds me that I'm on target. It's a measure of personal success to see me slowly getting through the jobs. And if I record them somewhere, and I had to use a journal to do so, if I record them somewhere, I can look back and double check that I did what I thought I did when I said I did it. Yeah, I'm sure that makes sense. It's very motivational to do this, but it also allows me to create the tasks list for the next day. I can see whether I've got some loose ends to tie up. I can see whether I need some more fixes in that day. I can see where I need to reschedule my daily plan. So these two activities, the three key tasks and reviewing the tasks at the end of the day, allow me to create subsequent daily plans. Now, within my daily plans, I've learned something very important over the last few months. I need to create time for myself within my daily work routine. I need to build time between the tasks or the subtasks for a, a break state. Now, break state is where you come right away from the work. My partner will tell you that I have got this terrible habit that once I get into a piece of work, I will sit at it at the desk for maybe three, four, five hours until I've completed it. Well, that's not particularly good for me, is it? If you think about it, I may have completed the task, but I've taken no break, I've taken no refreshments, really, other than a hurried snack during the work. I've needed to build meaningful breaks within my daily tasks. Now, often there are natural breaks in the work that I'm doing, so I can create those natural breaks. But we'll talk about a technique in a moment that is really powerful in helping you to do that. Another tip to keep the pace going is to vary your routine. Good habits are the basis of success. So while some routines are best done at regular times and in regular places, you could move them to other times in the day to see how it feels. Now, my morning routine generally is uh, once I get up, I sort of sit down at my laptop, I check my emails, I do my quick tasks, and then I focus on the bigger tasks. And that's my routine. But sometimes if I move the email checking until after I've completed a task, it feels a little bit different. Give it a try. Vary the routine task through the day if it's not going to mess up your habit. The key is creating a habit. And if the habit can be maintained, even though you're moving it throughout the day, then that's fine. Look for a way to break out. Some tasks don't have to be done in the same place all of the time. Can you find a way to break out of the frame of what you're, of what you're doing and where you're doing it? Now, quite recently, I've taken to doing uh, reading and research work outside, if I can. Um, not sitting at the same place, at the same desk, looking at the same four walls. Actually breaking that frame and stepping out into another environment is refreshing. So that may be something you'd like to think, see if you could do. Now, here's an idea that will suit some people better than others. Again, this is all about maintaining the pace of your work. In fact, let's be honest, it's all about productivity, right? 
consider co-working if not delegating some of your work. Now, okay, if you're like me, you don't really have a team of people to work with, uh, but if you do, consider delegate, delegating some of the work and avoid micromanaging. Now, this is a sidebar for those of you that work in teams. If you are a team leader and you delegate the work to somebody to do, you do not have to keep checking up on them. You do not have to micromanage their time. If you have set a piece of work or a task and you have requested it be done in a certain amount of time, leave the person to organize their work in order to do the task within the time that you have requested it. If they can't meet that deadline that you've set, it is their responsibility and you need to encourage them to come to you to say, I'm having problems. And then you can simply say, well, how can I help? The biggest problem in some teams that I work with in businesses is that the managers micromanage and therefore they do not encourage the development of good working productive practice in, their, in, their, in the people they manage. But what if you're a solo worker? Well, could you link with others in some way? You've got to find people you respect and trust, of course, but you can collaborate. I have recently found that collaborating with some people I've met at business networking meetings has been really useful in the sense that we create a time to have a conversation about our various projects and come back from those meetings feeling fully refreshed. But think about outsourcing some of the stuff that you do. If you're a small business, do you really need to do everything? I don't know. I mean, uh, I'm a one-person band and I'm doing social media, I'm doing the podcasts, I'm doing the writing, I'm doing this, that, and the other. At some point, it would be more effective for me to focus on the time that I'm spending and the things that I want to create and outsourcing some of that the stuff to somebody else who can do it better than me and more effectively than me. But if nothing else, delegate some tasks that you have to another time. Not every task that arrives on your desk, not every task that arrives on your inbox needs to be dealt with immediately. We'll talk about that in a moment. Here's a, as an interesting tip to maintain pace. When you set your daily plans or your daily schedule of work or whatever you need to do, start with the hardest task first. So when you settle to work, start with the most challenging task. This sets the momentum for the rest of the day. You've overcome your biggest hurdle for the day, and so after which, after which time it may feel like you're coasting through the rest of it. So start your day with the hardest task. And then use what I call the DDD technique. I talked about it in my book, The Secret to Your Future History. Um, but it really is a deal, dump, and delegate. It comes from some business training that I was doing years ago. Um, so it works like this. When tasks or emails arrive, you check them. If, you can be, if they can be dealt with in under two minutes, then you do them when you get them. If they're going to take a little bit longer, delegate them to a specific slot in your planner. Now, if it's just information that you are being sent out of courtesy or stuff that you can read later, file it away or dump it. How many emails are you got in your inbox that you have said, I'm going to read that later and you never do? 
one of the things I've been working towards and actually being quite successful at is having what's called inbox zero. So when you open my email account, the first thing I look at is virtually a blank page. Nothing there except what's just arrived. There's no emails to trawl through. The other stuff has either been dealt with and, and archived, filed for later, or dumped. Dealt with, it's been delegated to later times or it's been dumped. Are you, I'm using uh, Gmail. And there's a wonderful Gmail app called Sorted, which allows you to move your emails onto uh, what's called a Kanban board. Those of you who know what I'm talking about will see the value of this. And you can schedule your, your emails to be dealt with or they're in progress being dealt with or you can archive them from this uh, sorted interface. Sorted, by the way, is spelled S-O-R-T apostrophe D. Give it a look. While I'm talking about emails, check your emails at set times and turn off all those annoying little pings that tell you when the emails have arrived. If you've decided you're going to check your emails two or three times a day, create a time to do that and do the checking there. Again, if as the email comes in, you can make the DDD decision. If something crops up at your midday checking of your emails, can you deal with it now in two minutes? Fine. If not, delegate it till after the task you need to do. Or, failing that, archive it or dump it or file it for later use. This is really important. Many of us working in uh, our own little businesses are overwhelmed by the amount of email that clutters our lives. Now, the final thing that I'd like to say about keeping pace with your work is something called the Pomodoro technique. I've known about this for ages. I must have I, was, I used to talk about this oh, several years ago, but like many of us coaches, we sometimes talk about stuff we've heard. Seem, it seems like a good idea, and then maybe we don't actually use it ourselves. I love this technique ever since I started to use it daily. The Pomodoro technique is a time management technique where you break down all of your tasks into about 25 minutes. And these 25 minutes are focus blocks of time. Between each block of time, you take a five-minute break. So after completing four Pomodoro cycles, you can take a longer break of maybe 15 to 30 minutes. So you're breaking your task down into chunks. For the big tasks you have to achieve, this is fantastic because it allows you to take a break for five minutes, come away from it, and then go back to it. It's making sense? Now, one of the things that I've found is that I've started to use this technique when I've needed to focus on a task and I needed to get it done. And what sometimes happened is because I've started the task, I want to finish it. So I go beyond that 25 minute rule, which is breaking the techniques rule a little bit. I go beyond the 25 minutes to maybe 30 minutes because then I can tick that task off as done. There are so many apps available for your phones and your computers that, that use this Pomodoro technique as a timer. You set the timer off, it clicks away 25 minutes, then it clicks away five minutes, and then it clicks away another 25 minutes, and it keeps you on track and on task, but also builds in a little space for you to reflect. So if you don't know that technique, look it up and look up some of the apps that are available 
most of them are free. So we've talked about pace, and those are techniques or hacks for productivity, and I believe they really work. I'm talking about those because I use them. But what about this thing about maintaining space? We've already spoken about the need to create the space around you in order to remain creative. Well, some of those productivity hacks we've just talked about allow you to create space within your day. But what about these ideas? Let's simply talk about decluttering, minimalizing and reducing. Clear our space, our working space, it allows for clear mind, clear thinking and clear goals. You like that? I still want to use my space to keep in the back of my mind what I'm trying to achieve, but I need to reflect upon it. So if I clear a space that is a working space, then that working space becomes a clear space that's not cluttered. In fact, one of the things I've just really done is I've taken my desk apart and put it back together again because I needed to create a clear desk. And actually sitting at my desk and working there is a little bit more structured than actually working in the living room. You see, if you work from home, you can work almost anywhere, really, except we get, I'm going to own this, except I get into a lazy frame of mind of coming in, making myself a cup of coffee, sitting in the armchair and doing my work there. And that, I don't think, is very healthy. And I've decided that the change needs to be with a clear space at my clear desk so I can be keep a clear mind with clear thinking and maintain an idea about my clear goals. Think about your digital life. You know, work itself can be overwhelming. Life itself can be overwhelming. But our digital life can be even worse. How can we manage it? Well, okay. And I hate to keep talking about apps, but one of the things that I've got on my iPhone, other phones are available, but I've got an iPhone, um, there is a, a screen time tracker on my iPhone, which I recently discovered, and it tracks the amount of time you're engaging in various activities on your phone. Now, I use my phone a lot. I use it for uh, recording meetings. I use it for diary and all the kind of uh, scheduling functions. But it shocked me the amount of screen time that I had on various things like social media. And I suddenly realized that this is wasted time. So I started to think very carefully about how I can limit my digital life. And if I need to limit my digital life, that means I need to come away from some of the things that distract me. I can put them into boxes where I do some research later, I call it research or whatever I want to call it, or I can call it simply browsing the net. But the internet is one of the biggest vacuums of our time. So if I cut my digital life down to specific tasks like emails, the social media tasks that I try to do uh, once a week, uh, the blog writing that I try to do a couple of times a week, if I put those into specific tasks during the day, they don't swell and overwhelm me. So my digital life is kept to ones or zeros. Uh, you, you saw I did there, didn't you? Yeah. I, I have needed to become friends with the word no. Yep. I was one of these people that constantly said, yep, yep, I can do that, I can do that, that. Constantly taking up more time and actually extending that into working with clients that there was not a really good fit. So... Becoming friends with the word no means that I have the right to say no or not today or perhaps another time. 
I don't have to say yes to everything that comes my way. Now, if you are a person listening to this as self-employed, the danger is that you say yes to everything for fear of becoming um, short of clients, short of work. And I must admit that that's the thing that drove me to keep on saying yes. However, with the clients that I feel I could have said no to, that I said yes to, they have been the clients that have taken up far more of my time. If I'd have said no in the first place, then I would have had more space to do the things that I'm better at, or shall I say, more useful at. Taking time off from screens is a good thing to think about. Now, I work on the online. I work with a computer screen in front of me. Uh, when I relax and I like to watch a film, that's another screen. If I engage in social media, then that's another screen. If I look at my iPhone, that's another screen. If I cut down the amount of screens that I'm looking at, several things happen. I reduce the sensory overload from these screens, from this information. I, I don't, my eyes aren't excited. My head doesn't get buzzy, if you like. And if I take control of the amount of time on the screen and do something else, then maybe, well, I know for me, that's a space-creating device. I like reading books. I would could argue that having the book on Kindle makes a lot of practical sense. Of course it does for traveling and being around. However, stopping and reading a book out of the pages by turning the book is a very tactile experience. And that's the thing that would take us away from screens. So think about taking time off from the screens that seem to dominate your lives. Get outside is one way to get away from your screens. Can you take your journal work, your notebook, and sit outside with a cup of tea or a cup of coffee or a soft drink? Can you actually go somewhere to do some of the planning work that you would normally do? Have a think about that. The next two are really important for me. One is the practice of mindfulness. Now, mindfulness is, is a buzzword at the moment. For me, the simplest way to think about mindfulness is to be as present as you can in the jobs that you are doing, which means that you're not multitasking. It means that your brain isn't moving around all over the place like some great multi-tentacle device finding things in the environment. Mindfulness is about doing one task at one time. Some people are naturally good at this. My partner calls me, uh, thinks of me as creating dominoes for tasks. And I have a tendency to focus on that one task and not like the uh, intrusions from anything anywhere else. In a way, that's a kind of mindfulness. So practice mindfulness several times during the day. When you're involved with a conversation with somebody, Drop everything else and look at that person, watch that person, be involved with that person. If you're doing a task that involves your creativity, focus on that creativity. Don't be distracted by phone calls or emails. If you're going to sit down and have a nice drink, savor your sensory experience of that drink for a moment. You don't have to spend hours sort of becoming mindful of one thing because moment to moment it moves on. This is about stilling your mind so that you can fully engage with the task at hand. So you can practice mind mindfulness several times a day. Pause long enough to focus on being present in what you're doing. And when you catch yourself uh, spiraling out of control, spiraling out of the moment, to the past or to the future, 
or to tasks you've got to do later or tasks you've got to do tomorrow or the conversations you've got to have about your salary or whatever it is, cut those to the minimum and get involved with mindful activity, mindful practice, which is simple. It's getting your breathing still and easy and focusing your attention in one direction. Many people who practice mindfulness will tell you that one of the most interesting things to do, for example, is to take something like a strawberry or an orange or, a, or even a piece of chocolate, if that's going to feed a need. And as you eat that chocolate, that orange or that strawberry, start by looking at the colour and the texture. Start by smelling it. Start by looking at the way of the, sh the shape of it, the weight in your hand. Every step that that piece of fruit takes from your, from the bowl to your hand, to your mouth, to the insides, is actually about a sensory experience you focus on. Yeah, believe that. Now the other practice is kind of related, it, it's meditation. Meditation and mindfulness are not the same thing. Mindfulness is about being in the moment, and allowing your thoughts to become focused and uh, on the present. Meditation is more about allowing yourself to manage the flow of your thoughts, but it opens the possibilities of exploration of, of feelings and ideas and stress within the body and all that kind of stuff. So meditation is a good thing to do at the more, at beginning of the day and at the end of the day. Uh, one of the techniques I used with students that were trying to learn stuff was to get them into a meditative state in the morning before they got out of, out of bed really well that appealed to the teenagers anyway um, was to get into a meditative state by breathing and being still and then slowly bring their attention to a plan of the day they were going to have that was seeing the lessons they were going to have um, seeing the teachers they would be seeing that day in their mind's eye running a movie of the day if you like they were previewing the day in a meditative state at the end of that day when they got back home, they spent another 10 minutes reviewing the day of all the things they'd seen and done and learned and, uh, and, and understood and all the teachers they'd seen and interactions. So they had run a mental movie of the day they just had. This has served several purposes. One, it trains the mind in meditation practices. Previewing the day helps set up, set up a psychological condition to be effective during the day. And reviewing the day helps you retain what has been learned. You know, research has shown that if we simply learn something, and this is all of us, it's not just students at school, it's all of us. If we learn something in a day and we do not review it, 80% of what we thought we'd learned is lost within 24 hours. However, if we review the material and we reconnect with the experience of learning that material, then retention rate rises dramatically. In fact, it increases by 80%. This is cool stuff. Tie the review and preview of the day, or I should say preview and review of the day, with a journaling activity, then you've really got a, a tightly woven package of productivity hacks which create the space and the pace for you. Okay, another idea to maintain space it's about you isn't it it's about being you stop and enjoy life when did the, when was the last time you just went up oh, and spontaneously did something when was the last time you said yeah i'm gonna go out for a, a walk this evening and then you made an excuse not to go out 
because you had work to do. I'm hands up here, I'm as guilty as anybody else. So find time to stop and enjoy life. One of the interesting uh, productivity hacks I was reading about recently is a gentleman that actually books his time in his diary. So he does have his days off. Say he takes Saturday and Sunday off the weekend, traditional weekend. But also books in a third day as a blank day, puts nothing in it. When I asked him why he did that, he told me, well, I know at the end of my week or at the start of my week, I've got a spare day. But in that spare day, if things have gone really badly in the week and I've not done the tasks I need to do, I can do them on that spare day because it's been a uh, space in my diary. I said, that's really cool. And then he said, if, of course, nothing comes up and I'm ahead of myself, then I take that day for me. Brilliant, eh? Could you actually do that? Could you say to yourself, okay, over a, over a week's period, I'm going to take two days off, which are my my re relaxation days, my family days, my sports days, and actually in your week's diary build another day where you weren't planning any tasks or any meetings unless you really had to. Now, that's a perfect example of the space and pace philosophy in practice. There's a wonderful story about the Emperor Hirohito, who um, was a very busy gentleman, and he was being taken by his personal assistant to several meetings. His diary was packed with meeting after meeting after meeting and, and you know, kind of formal attendances. And, and his personal secretary was in charge of making sure that the emperor was on time and at the place he needed to be to do what he needed to do. And the story is that one day the emperor turned up at this meeting hall, I think it was a, a temple, uh, where he was meant to address some people and there was nobody there. With horror, the assistant realised he'd made a mistake. He'd misscheduled the time and the date completely. Apparently the emperor walked around this empty space, his footsteps echoing in the hall. The assistant, in the meantime, was wondering what fate would befall him when the emperor... Um, stopped his wanderings. The emperor slowly walked towards his assistant, looked him in the eye. His assistant was fearing the worst, the very worst that could happen. And the emperor apparently whispered, plan a few more days like this. That's the point. That's the creation of space. So, to be successful in your life, it, it, this has seemed to be in a business-focused podcast, but it's not really because it's about everything that you want to achieve. Every goal that you set yourself, every task you need to undertake, every job during the day needs a structure. If you don't give it a structure, it spirals out of control and it ends up like some blob. Remember the film The Blob? Yes, yeah, some of you will. That where it spreads itself and engulfs the whole of your time because you've not really structured and contained it. We need to contain the blob of our overwhelming lives into some kind of structure. Now, that doesn't mean we're becoming rigid and inflexible. What it does mean is we're becoming focused and productive. I think this is a really powerful set of things to think about. I'll just share this just to show you how this isn't just about your working life. My task list this morning, because uh, at the moment my partner is away, 
Uh, she's visiting parents, so I've sort of got the house to myself, really. So I've got a bit of space there. Of course, I'm missing her, but there you go. And my task list today went meditation, emails, write, because uh, I'm writing some stuff. And I said a period of time to write, which I use the Pomodoro technique on. Then put the towels into wash, do the, do the kitchen, come back to writing, check my emails. Are, are you with me? I was building in the stuff I needed to do that was my domestic stuff as well as my work stuff. And that's the important thing here. This is not simply about I'm going to do this task to move me along in my career. It's about I'm going to do these tasks to move me along in my life to achieve the things I want to achieve. Until next time, have a great week. Think about planning it. Mm -hmm.